I'm Caleb Kid Coy, Epic Legacy Hero Builder, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Like a Bank. Along with myself, you'll hear from other successful experts and people who are busy serving and empowering many lives. You'll see how we're showing others to become debt-free in record time as they build economic discipline while generating a bulletproof family legacy revenue stream together. We'll learn how to live and operate just like the banks do. What is up, my fellow alchemized slayers of mediocrity and my fellow heroic family legacy builders, Caleb Kid Coy here, your host of the Living Like a Bank podcast. And we are back today with the Business Book Club talking about the fun, exciting, and controversial Outwitting the Devil written by Napoleon Hill. And I am fresh back from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee with the family and a visit to Dollywood, the famous amusement park by the great artist Dolly Parton. What an exciting and interesting trip. And best of all is getting to wear my t-shirts in public places. And when you're in a crowded venue like that, it's so fun because I had literally people walking around the front of me and looking down, almost tripping me because they wanted to see what the front of the shirt said. For those of you that don't know, on the back, it says you're either banking for the banks or you're banking like the bank. So it's a very thought-provoking statement. And people want to know what I'm talking about and where we're going. And of course, that is the reason we created the Living Like a Bank podcast. So joining me back today, I want to welcome the lovely Aline and the dashingly handsome Chris back into the studio as we discuss <laughs> chapter one, Napoleon Hill's first meeting with Andrew Carnegie. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good to have you here. And this chance encounter, if you will, that Napoleon Hill had with Andrew Carnegie obviously set the trajectory and the course for his entire life. What were you guys' uh, initial thoughts as you started to read through the wisdom that uh, Carnegie dumped onto Mr. Hill in this uh, initial appointment he had with him? One great thing, uh, I could go first, right? You may, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> One great thing that popped out in my head right away when I started reading is that he was going to interview him. And Andrew Carnegie told him that the job that you're about to undertake is going to take you 20 years to get it together. 20 years, I started thinking, dang, with today's world, people are instantly, they want the results. And when you think you have a project in front of you, that's going to take you 20 years. I got, and that's right from the beginning, the first couple of paragraphs, what he told him, it's going to take you 20 years. So he knew I'm, I'm, I'm get, I'm embarking into this journey for 20 years. And so it got me to thinking this guy, and then he, and then he later says that uh, uh, it wasn't just about what's the word. I love the way he used being excited about it. Where is it? Anyways, it'll come back to me. But it, it wasn't going to be just something like, okay, I know it's 20 years. It was going to require him to work and be patient and be and have endurance and go to tribulation and go through a lot of different things during that 20-year period so that he can make it to the end. And today we have the book, so that tells us that he did make it to that 20 years. So. That was my first excitement once I started reading the book, chapter one. Almost as if Carnegie was vetting Hill, right, Elaine, to see how serious he was. Chris, what do you think? Totally, totally. 
Exactly. And I mean, the only one little detail I have to add on to what Aileen hit on perfectly is he, he even Carnegie even tells the young Hill, like you're going to, it's going to take basically adversity. Like the, the, you ain't going to get there until you get this adversity. And Hill was, Hill's a young person. He's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. But obviously, well, I don't want to get ahead of our story here, but it took some adversity for him to really get where he needed to get. So it did indeed. Let's look oh. at this paragraph here that starts. There are millions of people, Michael, if you pull that up for us here in anyway, the world, while they're pulling it up. Did you remember what you were going to say? Who, what? I, I think Aileen remembered what she was going to say. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. I was, yeah. There's a couple of words over here where it says it wasn't going to just be ambition. Because that's why a lot of people, they mm. have that, especially the young generation. They're very ambitious, but then that's not enough. He said it wasn't going to be enough. He said that job was require continuous effort. And then you will have to make money from other sources so you can feed this one to make it work. Oh, man, that was something. Yeah. That is rich, isn't it? A, yes. a little different from today's, you know, illusions of grandeur around entrepreneurism, right? And, and get rich quick schemes. Look what Carnegie said to Hill here, guys. There are millions of people in the world who have not the slightest conception of the causes of success and failure. The schools and colleges teach practically everything except the principles of individual achievement. They require young men and women to spend four to eight years acquiring abstract knowledge but do not teach them, Chris holding up the pen there, what to do with this knowledge after they get it. Roll with it, Chris. Oh, I was just, I mean, you, you just said it. You just read it. Like, man, I, just, if I, I got that yellow marker out. The schools and colleges teach practically everything except the principles of individual achievement. Gosh, that seems like that might be kind of important, except, well, I'm going to get on my soapbox for half a second. Maybe that's not what the schools are actually designed to do. Hmm. <laughs> food for thought there yeah mercy me because they talk about the philosophy that you have to undertake that the world is in need of practical and understanding the philosophy to achieve the things that we need to achieve so we in need of that we in need of that kind of information to be putting out there because people are not learning those skills at school people are not learning how to do basically anything I was in a class yesterday, and one of the things that I learned that the teacher or the coach he was talking about was you will pay a college professor, depending on the education you're going for, $100,000, $200,000, so that he can teach you to make some things in theory. He's never made that kind of money himself ever. He's never achieved that in real life. But yet he's qualified to teach you how to do it. And he only mm -hmm. makes like 40000 So we definitely need those kind of philosophy in the world to educate the people into that, to understand how to make the kind of money that they're thinking, that it's not going to be an instant gratification. It's going to be, it's going to require time. And just like Carnegie told uh, 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 the young man, it's going to require endurance. It's going to require effort. It's going to require work. It's not going to happen overnight. And we need people to teach other people about that. Mm. I love that, Elaine. And, and ultimately, shades of uh, Think and Grow Rich, right? And these principles that he acquired and put together in that book are really laid out in more detail 
and context in outwitting the devil than, than even in think and grow rich. And Chris, I, I just, I love it because again, you read a book like think and grow rich and you go, you know, this is it's one of the best self-help, you know, mindset training books you could ever, and look at how far back it was written. I think Hill had a grasp on something there that is so relevant in this day and age. And you both touched on it, Aline, you just mentioned it again. We're giving people this opportunity to learn and be educated, right, at, at their own expense or their parents' expense, if you will. But are we equipping them with practical life principles that they can right. apply and go out and be successful with? Chris? That's right, Caleb. And I mean, our, our producers in, in our ears, so to speak, uh, you know, bringing up like in, in, if anybody's read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, like what kind of an education are you getting, right? That's that's kind of the whole thing of that book, like without breaking, that's not what this podcast is about today. But, you know, that is what we do. That's what we're here for, right? Is to bring up other business books. And his his poor dad had the normal education that most people get, the, the one that's being criticized here, right? And so the Napoleon Hill had, you might call it the school of hard knocks, so without even going into all the details of it, he basically had a series of things that he had seemingly kind of amazing initial success. And then for whatever reason, walked away from it, whether it was war or not getting along with people or various different things. He just had this pattern of like starting successful businesses and walking away. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. Probably maybe <laughs> in different aspects of our lives. There's a lot of people who can relate to that because they never, they're fidgety. You start something, you don't finish. You start something, you don't finish. And you never see the fruit of your labor. And and I like what Carnegie told him that for him to be able to learn and to go through that process is that he will have to interview different sorts of people. He wasn't just going to focus on one kind of person. He was going to focus on interview those who were successful and those who fail. And I love that the is his definition of failure, how he defined who those people were going to be, the people that he was, the people that actually fell, like they were at the end of their life after they retire and they had nothing to show for. It's sad to see it, but you can learn from them. And he said, well, what the one thing that you will have to learn from them is what not to do. And I thought that was pretty amazing because mm. it's always easy to think that you'll learn from successful people. You want to go to the people who made it. Fine. Well, what about the people that made it? How did, what happened? Right. How come everybody had the same information, but yet this guy made it and this guy didn't make it? So that was that was really good to know that you can always learn from somebody's failure or your own failure. You can always learn from it. Who's the best uh, voice actor here? We need a church lady impersonation. I don't know. Maybe it was <laughs> Satan. No, but but Maybe. seriously, uh, I mean, th this book, the way that it is presented is basically saying the devil's out to get you. But I want to say right now, okay, before we lose any audience, the devil is not the devil really that we're talking about like, I mean, in the Bible, say, or it's not, yeah, exactly, alien, or, or the tail, or, you know, right. any of that stuff, right? Or uh, even like in, in the Brothers Karamazov, there's a scene where this one elder, like, can see devils hanging about the monastery, whatever. It, it's, it's none of that. Right? It's, 
it's more like, and uh, we're going to have a graphic for this, I hope next week, but it's like there's two things inside of us fighting. So if we wanted to go Freud, we could be talking about like just your regular ego, which is sort of what we're aware of. But then there's a part above us and a part below us just on basic Freudian psychology, right? You have a super ego and, and like, like an id and libido and stuff, right? And so they are fighting for like possession in your mind. And that's, I don't, I don't know for a fact that Napoleon Hill read Sigmund Freud, but I do know that he was 30 years old and um, involved in academia specifically when it was translated into English. So I think it's pretty likely. <laughs> and right about that same time, Brothers Karamazov was also translated into English, which by the way is 1913. Okay. Mm. So that's all before his war experience. So, you know, he, he's, he's, uh, he's born in 1883. So by 1913, he's 30 years old and he was formally involved in, in academia and several of his like startup business things that he did and walked away from and stuff. But getting back to that, the, we, we mentioned several things, but inside of each of those failures, he found the seed of a future equivalent benefit. And hopefully that's not just words <laughs> at this point, you know, and or success, right? Right. Like, I mean, C Caleb, the other thing we do here is like heavy metal references, right? Like, uh, wasn't it, um, was it death magnetic album? Uh, the first one with the bassist, you probably remember the new bassist guy, but that, which don't kill you, make you more strong. Right. Yeah. It's basically what we're talking about. It is. And we commented previously that the title could easily be, translated to outwitting the adversary because Hill said it so profoundly, right? Adversity or failure, if you will, is often the limitations that we place as human beings within our own minds, partially because we haven't learned to embrace our failures. I had a, an encounter with a, a man who was a friend for many, many years, uh, East Indian family, and came from prominent family members who wanted him to be a doctor as well. And he failed that test many, many years. And his perception of that was that, and a part of that is, you know, the family pressure, things like that, right? Parents want you to do this, going to follow this career path and succeed was that, you know, he was failing instead of looking at it as an opportunity to learn and grow when originally he really didn't want to pursue that path to begin with. So how much does failure play guys in that role to help show us what course we want to undergo, right? What path we want to pursue? What are your thoughts? Well, just like a, a, he would in the book, he says that most real failures are due to limitation which men set up in their own mind. We create that. And that's, like Chris mentioned earlier, that's who he calls the devil. What's inside of us. Hmm. It is not the devil in the Bible, the bad guy who makes people do bad things. No, it is what's inside of us. And we have all these fear. There's an example that I was reading yesterday that I saw. And if you take an orange and you squeeze and you squeeze, what comes out of that orange? Orange juice. If you squeeze it, no matter how strong you give it to anybody to squeeze it, the only thing that can come out of that orange is an orange juice. So when life presents itself in front of you and squeezes you and then you give in and you give up 
And then you say, it's because of what he said to me, or it's because this thing happened and you start blaming everything around you. That is what is called your devil. Because the only thing that can come out of you is what's inside of you. So if you have a giving and giving up kind of personality, now you got to go say, that is not what I want. Hmm. And this is what healed what's going with this illustration or whatever this analogy that he was using when he called the devil is that you got to fight with whatever is inside of you. You cannot allow that bad thing decide how your future and your family for that matter is going to be determined. So if you can't fight it and and you just don't, but then nothing is going to happen. And that is, that limitation that we cause ourselves and we never actually take the courage to jump in and say, I don't want to settle anymore. Mm. I don't want this for myself anymore. Because another analogy that I would take, if you take, uh, 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 if you put some stuff in the water, what usually happens in the water? There's those things, they will settle at the bottom because everything that settles, settles to the bottom. So if you settle with life, you're going to be at the bottom. You go, if you don't want to be at the bottom, don't settle. Don't settle. Decide that your family is going to be on top and float. Find a way to float. Find a way to survive, no matter how. And that's what he did with this book. That's what he knew. 20 years, it wasn't going to be an easy 20 years, but I was going to make it. We have the book today because he made it. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason, the first step, First step in making it, and what he thanks Carnegie for, to bridge on what you're saying, Aileen, is that definiteness of purpose. Because yeah. all of his other, and, and, and he's thankful about his previous failures. And so coming up to this quote here, I'll, I'll bridge us up to this quote. So he, we learn later on when he forces the devil, the, the, the devil to sum everything up that the if it was in one sentence, of how you don't give in to your, the. let's back up a half a step. The best analogy in the whole book is when he talked, the devil admits that the devil is nothing more than like the negative side of the atom. There, there can't be only positive. There has to be positive and negative. Like it's like physics, right? It's, it's basically, we're just talking about physics. So I, we do want to be really clear, hopefully in this podcast, that even though this is called outwitting the devil, and even though there's clearly some, at least artistic tones of like some sort of devil, when when asked what its material shape is, it laughs. It can be any shape it wants. It's the negative side of everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> we can't drift. We have to have a, a positive focus on everything we do. And that's what his walk away in that interview with Carnegie was. He had a definiteness of purpose that translated and that didn't really come to fruition until he got through the war and came back and walked away from yet another one of his businesses and decided he was going to go on the lecture circuit. And I didn't write down the guy's name, but he meets this guy who has money and he's like, Whoa, dude, I feel you like we should work together. Come to my office tomorrow and they're like, you know, ready to like go to work together and like spread the great message about practical guide for achievement, right? Awesome. Everything looks great until he gets knocked off by a mobster. Long story short, 
Next thing you know, Napoleon Hill's on notice that he's next if he doesn't get the you-know-what out of town. Mm -hmm. So he does, and he basically goes into hiding and becomes like a recluse spider or something. And, you know, mentally he turns into a recluse, you know. And so he has the, the fear of physical injury as well as the, the um, even after the guys who did this are sort of in jail and he's safe, he's still ruled by that fear. He, and that fear is the devil. Mm -hmm. A mental prison, it sounds like what you're faith, describing. Right? Yeah. Fear of faith, right, Caleb? That's right. Literal mental prison. The prison is in the mind. Now, what's really noteworthy is how Carnegie introduced Hill to this concept of the other self, right? This is kind of what we're getting to. And he said, seldom the other self seldom exerts its influence or makes itself known excepting at times of unusual emergency, human crisis, when men are forced through adversity and temporary defeat to either change their habits and to rethink their way out of difficulty, or as you mentioned, Chris, shrink back, right? Become a recluse, hide in fear and paranoia. So the recognition when the rug is pulled out from under us and our world is turned upside down overnight, I don't know if I'm the only one in the room that's ever happened to, but it's happened to me more than once, it is an opportunity. And I remember the overwhelming fear and at times waking up in the night in cold sweats. So if you haven't experienced that kind of adversity, Chris, you mentioned Hill coming through the war. That was a literal role, right? He had to fight for his life and the lives yeah. of others. It's obviously. crazy how fast they go through that, isn't it? There's like, it's just like, okay, I'm he's back from the war. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So that was a discovery that, that Hill mentioned was a literal turning point in his life, constituted emergencies that forced me to think my way out of difficulty. So how often do we think our way out when we go into a state of emergency or do we shrink back? And obviously so, at times we've all shrunk back into fear, but do we recognize that what, that's what happened and the next time we confront those fears? Aline, what are your thoughts? No, you're right. Uh, uh, I like this thing that he says over here when it comes to fear. He said, fear is a self-generating morass. And I went in the dictionary because I'm like, what is morass? So I pulled my dictionary. I went to Google and I was like, okay, type in morass and I'm going to read it. I was like, what is that word? It says area of muddy or buggy ground. Hmm. So what usually happen when you, if you stand on muddy or buggy ground, it's wet. It was, you will sink. If it's mm -hmm. deep enough, you will sink. So basically, that's what you said. It's self-generating sink that you create for yourself. Yep. I mean, if, if you're thinking about it, that's kind of like where a lot of people are in the world today. For real. There is a lot of things that create fear for us. Yes. A lot that destroy who we are on the inside. But then we take that fear and we make it who we are. And we create this sinkhole where we dive in and we swim in the hole and we love being in the hole and we drag generations of people into that hole and we all stay there. Mm. But Hill is telling you, don't do it. And he goes back and he says that uh, before he even don't say, he said the urge to continue was stronger than the desire to quit. Mm. Because he, because Ooh, he knew I cannot quit. Mm -hmm. I have to float. I have to swim because it wasn't just about him. 
he knew like the story that uh, Chris just mentioned about everything that just happened to him. It was bad. It's any reason for anybody to retreat and just forget about the world. Mm -hmm. He said no. He said no. And we have to say that. They things like our debts can be a cause of discomfort and keep us in the dark. Knowledge is power, but we don't have it. A lot of, a lot of us don't have that knowledge. Therefore, we stay in the dark. So, yes, you cannot allow fear to be a self-generating morass. You got to make it. A, you got to use it as a stepping stone to jump That's into right. your future that you want for yourself. Chris, you want to follow up on that? I'll just go from where uh, Aileen left off. I mean, you know, just to just to quickly go through his 13 principles and apply it to this chapter. Um, he had been in the indecision that we talked about before, that morass. Mm -hmm. And that was mostly because he felt like a fraud because here he was teaching about success principles, okay, right. and yet doubting himself and not being where he wanted to be in life not really being able to take care of his family, buy his kids a Christmas tree, whatever, right? Not being able to do what he wanted to do for his family. Modernly known as imposter syndrome, right, Chris? Bingo, right? So he makes a firm decision that like, okay, I mean, we all think all the time. So in his work, he develops a distinction about accurate thinking, right? We'll talk about this. This will be a theme that we talk about. And he basically, when we talk about praying, we should lose any ideas in our mind about Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or Christian or Judaistic or any other kind of praying, right? That's not the kind of praying that Napoleon Hill is talking about. He's talking about using the brain, which is a nexus for downloading information from an infinite intelligence that you have direct access to without any preacher, rabbi, anything, whatever, right? Yes. Thank you, Michael. Perfect. <laughs> and and if, if you don't really understand that and you're wondering like, well, which religion is this guy following? You're missing the point. The only thing that Napoleon Hill's following in his story is his higher intelligence. Mm -hmm. We each individually all have our own intelligence, he says. For the record, I agree, but I don't always agree with all the authors we say, <laughs> but we, we do we do talk about what they're saying, right? And so the way he tells the story, and I don't know if he exaggerated or not, but he said he walked around this church like a couple hundred times, just like, just like stuck on like trying to access that awareness and pray, right? And and he finally does receive this order. Um, so I've been talking for a minute, Caleb. You want to take over the story from there about what that what that no, order you can continue like? by all means. Okay. Well, basically, it tells him, and we don't recommend this, by the way. But and and neither did Sharon, who co-wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad. <laughs> Should I say ghost wrote Poor Dad, Rich Dad Poor Dad? <laughs> but um, to quote Sharon, we don't recommend that you follow uh, Napoleon Hill in this. But he went and spent money he didn't have. Hmm. In fact, that he had borrowed, and hmm. he needed to pay back. But I think the real point of that story, lest we miss it, is not at all spend money you don't have. But it's if you've got loser syndrome, imposter syndrome, get over it. Fake it until you make it. Act as if. Mindset, really, we're talking yeah. about, right? You can do that without spending money. But you do have to have positive mental attitude. Yeah, without a doubt. And, I and love. 
Go ahead, Aline. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say a real quick thing to go along with what um, uh, uh, Chris just said. Uh, he's, he gave a quote over here from a Invictus uh, book that he read. He said, "You, it matters not how straight the gate, hard charge will punishment this quote. Basically, the last part is, I am the master of my faith and I'm your captain of my soul. Yes. That was an that was a turning point of his life when he became to that realization and decided that this is what I was going to do. And like Chris mentioned, we'll spend the money that he didn't have, but he knew he was going to make money with that money regardless. But betting so on it, yourself and betting on yourself in a prudent way and investing in your business are things that we endorse, right? Mm -hmm. Believing and believing in yourself. So just to run through it quickly, and we'll cover this over and over again, and maybe we should put, thank you for getting to Invictus. I'm so glad we got to that, Aileen. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, just uh, just in really in passing, you do know that that's also an uh, awesome movie about soccer in Africa. Oh, I did see the movie. <laughs> right. Of course. Times. Of course. Of course it it's a great, times. I need to go see it. I need to actually watch that again. That was okay. But it's, it's a 13 step process and his story exemplifies it. So he gets desire. And he has faith, not in anything like we've been talking about, but in, in his own higher self. And he keeps believing in that. He has auto-suggestion. And he uses his specialized knowledge and imagination to go out and through organized planning, find somebody who is going to invest in publishing his works, his principles for success consciousness. This is in November of 1927, right before the Laws of Success is published in 1928, 10 years before Think and Grow Rich and a year before the manuscript for Outwitting the Devil. Okay, mm -hmm. So he, he goes through imagination, organized planning, and finally he gets out of that morass and makes a decision. And then it's just a matter of persistence and having a mastermind. Now for him, first and foremost, that was his wife. Uh, I'd venture to say, hopefully for everybody listening, um, I mean, if you, if you are married uh, or have any kind of committed relationship, that that other person does have a brain meld with you. But that's not necessarily true. Right. And um, so if you know, if that is the case, that's the beginning of your mastermind. But a mastermind can also be like what we're doing right here. That can be all kinds of other different things, too. But the whole point of this podcast is to form a mastermind, not just between our producer and the three of us who are on camera right now, but between all of you who are watching. So we do please encourage you to give us your thoughts and comments, like interact with us. We want to hear Absolutely. from you. What do you think? Yep. Please tell us. We welcome that and we value it. As we Jill, kind of wrap this you, up, go ahead, Chris. You wrap it up with the, cause you're, you're the man on the, uh, sex transmutation and then bring us home with the subconscious mind brain and sixth sense huh i'm cheating by the way oh uh, yeah you you're cheating a bit now getting ahead of yes. us i did want to mention you know one thing that he'll noted i thought was really powerful is that fear paralyzes our reasoning faculties so when we get into that position we're no longer thinking logically or looking stepping back and having any perspective so when we get into that state that recognition is the first step out of it, right? That we've lost our reasoning faculties. And when we can confront that fear, logic and common sense can return. Hill said, looking backward now, in the light of all that's happened, I see those minor experiences of adversity 
through which I had passed were among the most fortunate and profitable of all my experiences, blessings in disguise, because they forced me to continue a work which finally brought me an opportunity to make myself more useful to the world than I might have had been had I succeeded in any previous plan or purpose. So your adversities, as Chris noted at the beginning, hold that potential seed of benefit and success. You have a story, you have a challenge that maybe no one else has faced in the same way or same light that can bring them incredible liberation and success moving forward. Final closing thoughts, Chris and Lee. Uh, the to closing talk for me is encouraging everybody. Uh, if you're reading, you're, you, you're watching, please pick up this book, read mm -hmm. it, share with us what you think uh, of uh, the book. Uh, maybe we skip. It's just the three of us and we're trying to get it done in, what, 20, 30 minutes the most. So we're not going to be able to talk about everything. And we'd love to know how everything you read in the book applies to yourself. So if you're listening, Mary, not married, single, whatever you are, please share with us what you think of the book and read it. I extremely encourage you to read this book. Love that. So, Chris? Caleb was on me for a while to read this and to quote Aileen, man, why didn't you tell me about this earlier? He told us about it earlier. He, he, he did. He did actually tell us about it earlier. But once we read it, we were like, man, why didn't you tell us about this earlier? That's right. <laughs> Guys, we want to thank you for taking time to tune in. And again, our hope is to help you recognize that the limitations that are on your life and your mind can be removed with a focus effort. And you can break out of those places of fear to places of courage and faith and limitless possibility. And we want to thank you for tuning in. Again, we welcome all your comments and feedback and look forward to hearing about how this book has impacted your life in a positive and extraordinary way. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe and do yourself and others a favor. Pass this video along and share it with someone else who will benefit. Take care for now. We'll see you next time. And as always, like Bobby Boucher said, remember, you can do it! <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the show. Please be sure you subscribe on YouTube for the podcast on anchor.fm and follow me on social media at Metalpreneur. If you're ready to talk about building your own bank, use the QR code or go to rebrand.ly slash build a bank. Be sure and join us for the next broadcast as together we learn to live and operate just like the banks do.